This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Well, a couple of weeks ago at the spring conference and meetings, I had a chance to host a panel with Emiliano Escobillo from the Haas Avocado Board and Manuel Michel from the National Mango Board that was all about data and how the various commodity groups could leverage data for the benefit of the entire industry. If you haven't yet, make sure to watch that full panel discussion. We'll put a link in the show notes of today's episode. One of our state commissions has really done an outstanding job of collecting and utilizing blueberry data, and that's the California Blueberry Commission with their Blueberry Marketing Resource Information Center. To chat more about this and to get an outlook on the California crop in 2021, I'm joined today by Todd Sanders, Executive Director of the California Blueberry Commission, and Bill Steed, owner of Fairfield Farms, a California Blueberry Commission board member, and he's also an elected California representative on the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. Todd, Bill, thanks for joining me today on the business of blueberries. Thank you, Casey. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, it's great to have you guys here. I kind of want to start off by just introducing you. Actually, I'm going to let you guys introduce you, but let's start off here with hearing just a little bit about each of your backgrounds and what led you to where you are in the blueberry industry today. So, Todd, why don't you go first? Thanks, Casey. I do appreciate you hosting these podcasts. I think they're really informative and good for the industry. It kind of brings us all together. So, my background started about 15 years ago. I moved up into Fresno, California to get my master's up here. I was uh, thinking about joining the intelligence community, and I got my master's in international relations. To get some more experience, I ended up joining a commodity called the California Apple Commission, and I had very little agricultural experience. Actually, my chairman asked me, can you even spell agriculture at the time? <laughs> and uh I was thinking about just doing this for a couple of years and then jumping into intelligence. Well, ended up just falling in love with agriculture and the growers. And then the Apple Commission started taking on other commodities as management contracts and blueberries were one of them. In 2010, the California Apple Commission took over the California Blueberry Commission as a management and have been doing it ever since. And again, man, just learning more about agriculture, the more you start to love about it. Well, it's great to have you on the show, Todd, and the work you do leading the California Blueberry Commission over there. So thanks for jumping on the show today. Really appreciate it. And now I'm going to grab Bill. Bill, if you could jump in here, maybe you could share a little bit about your history in the blueberry industry. I know you're, you've got backgrounds in other areas besides blueberries, but could you talk a little bit about your operations today? Yeah, I uh, was a wannabe blueberry grower back in 2003. My wife had been running a uh, fairly good size avocado operation here in San Diego area. And I jumped and uh, left the corporate world and became a uh, blueberry avocado grower in about 2004. Been a beautiful ride, love the people. It's been a great experience. I think one of the things that I found so exciting was how people shared information and they were so supportive. I knew nothing, 
but I um, was pretty familiar with the avocado board and I was on committees. And so when we started the Blueberry Commission, uh, it was uh, just a kind of an evolution for me. I appreciate that. And, you know, I think it's probably a good segue into just talking about this year's crop there in California. For those of you who attended our spring meetings, you'll have just heard this forecast at the NABC board meeting if you attended. I know both of you were party to that event, but I think it would be great to share this information again here and specifically from you, Bill, how things are looking for the 2021 crop, your fields in particular. And then, of course, I can ask Todd what he's hearing from across the state. I think the crop is pretty much on par with last year. It might be a little early because of some of the weather conditions of warmer temperatures. We've had minimal freeze effects out here, had some hail damage in some areas, but I would feel that our crop level will be pretty close to last year and the timing might be might be five days early, but you know, we do something in California that does our crop forecasting, which has just been amazing. It's remarkable in its accuracy, right, in the timing. And part of one of the things that makes it successful is that we have weekly calls with the crop forecast. And when you do that, we'll have 20, 30 people on the call. That's people wanting to hear what's going on. So if we're anticipating a heat wave, then everybody will know that. And everybody's kind of on the same page. If the volumes are showing that we're like last year, I think we had, there was a period there where we had to revise the timing of the forecast. The volumes ended up being pretty close, but the timings were off. Am I right about that, Todd? Absolutely. Those weekly calls allow the growers and the handlers to make adjustments to their, you know, what they think the volume is going to be coming off as. And to Bill's point, the crop forecast that we do in the very beginning with Gwen, we get about a 98% participation rate. And Gwen is very rarely wrong on her projection what the crop's going to look like. And it's with deadly accuracy. I mean, she's within 100,000 pounds almost every year. And the board likes to push back on her and they try and adjust it and do all this stuff. And she says, no, this is what I've seen from around the state. Incredible. Well, maybe that's, you know, an opportunity for you to share with us what you're seeing around the state, Todd, and going into this new year's crop. You know, obviously compared to last year, Bill sensing it's going to be very similar, but what are you sensing? What are you hearing? What's the latest? Bill's not wrong. So I get phone calls, you know, with growers throughout the state and I talk to them uh, on a regular basis. And most of the people I'm, I'm hearing from are one, Before this crop forecast that is going to be completed, which is next week, is when we'll get our first look at it, is it's going to be probably on par with last year. Roughly around 75 million pounds is what we're looking at total, but that could change. Weather events could change all that. That we're going to be a little bit early. Uh, Bill's right. I think that five to seven days right now, but that can change too. So with weather events or we may speed up, but typically we're still looking, you know, third week in May is, uh, is our peak. And that's where the beauty of the BMRIC system is, is you can look at it and you can tell from the volume where it's all going to come from. Well, very good. I appreciate that update and it's great to hear, but I want to dig deeper on how you are all using the data to benefit our California growers and packers and shippers. But first, before we do that, let's take a quick break for our crop report. We've wrapped up things in Chile and are winding down in Peru as we ease into our domestic harvest season. In fact, Florida gives their first report of the year today. So here, once again is your blueberry crop report. It's time now for your blueberry crop report. 
an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry areas around the globe. Today you'll hear from Luis Vegas in Peru and Ken Patterson in Florida. This was recorded on March 31st, 2021. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Luis with the crop report from Peru. So as, as on the previous weeks, it's a pretty short report because we're reaching the, the, the end of our season. Up until this point of the season, uh, which is week 12, Peru has shipped a total of 358 million pounds worldwide, which represents an increase of 35% in volume versus the volume shipped uh, on the previous season. From this total volume, uh, 53% uh, was shipped to the US, our main market. Uh, what happened during week 12, a total of 280,000 pounds were shipped from Peru, uh, a similar amount to uh, the previous season where we shipped our, our last fruit on week 14. So we are expecting a smaller shipments for the, the next couple of weeks until we reach the end of the season. So that's the, the report from Peru. Hey, hello, everybody. This is Ken Patterson. I'm a Florida grower, and this is the first crop report of 2021 for Florida. Florida started about two to three weeks ago with picking, uh, mostly in the south and central part of Florida. Uh, the crops or the varieties that are being harvested early are chickadee, kestrel, arcadia, and avanti. And we are just getting started up here in North Florida. There was no freeze damage this year anywhere in the state, so the crop looks very good. We seem to have ample picking labor available to all the growers, and the quality coming off at this point is excellent. Our peak in Florida should start in two to three weeks, depending on the weather from here on out. So our total volume at this point out of Florida is 922,000 pounds. Well, I appreciate uh, hearing from both Ken and Luis, particularly with Ken's report. I just want to remind everyone that you can actually go and see live on our new website, the new USHBC website, where we have our new data and insight center, where more of this data can be found, but in particular, it's it's current. It, we're pulling from USDA market news there now, and I just am so excited to have that value add back to the industry on our new website. So if you have a moment, go to ushbc.org. You can go to growers and just click into data and insights, and there you'll scroll into and see the numbers that are being uh, reported there through USDA market news. And we're providing that as a uh, an aggregated report across all the regions and states for your ease of identifying and using. So exciting times and new changes here at USHBC going into this new year. But for now, let's turn our attention back to California with Todd Sanders and Bill Steed. Todd, maybe a good place to start is an introduction to our audience on the Blueberry Marketing Resource Information Center. I think you could give us a kind of a bit of an overview of just what kind of effort this was and how it got started. Well, what it is, is it's just a reporting system that's required by the state of California if you're a blueberry grower over 50,000 pounds. You have to put in data, which is inventory on pack styles and processing and fresh, you know, FOB pricing data. All that data has to be entered in every single day if you're over 50,000 pounds. And then the commission scrambles that data and releases it 24 hours later to all the growers. So the growers see about 24 hours later. So it's real-time data that they can see. And everybody, if you're a California blueberry grower or handler, you have access to the VMIC program. 
And so you can see that data as quickly as possible. And then once a year, at the end of the year, the California Blueberry Commission sends out its annual report, which you got a few days ago, <laughs> the dictionary that it is. And uh, they get to see all the report and all the data. And it allows growers and handlers to make smart business decisions when they can see this data in real time. Yeah, that's very good. Well, and when you say that, you know, the 50,000 pound minimum that requires, what's the input part? Is it online? Is it faxed in? What What's the actual mechanics of growers who have to fill this out or fulfill this mandatory obligation? What's that look like? Yeah, fair enough. So part of the stipulation of BMRIC is that we have a third party system. Here at the commission, we do not want to see proprietary information here. So what happens is, is there's a portal on our website that you can go into that each grower gets their own assigned username and password. They can go in, enter in all their information. It goes to our third party, Gwen Peterson, and then she has all that data and she tracks it, scrambles it, and then releases it out into the BeamRick system. So BeamRick data is not released publicly until one, the board authorizes me to start releasing the scrambled data publicly or two, at the end of the year. I just want to make sure, Todd, when you say scrambled, you're referring to the aggregation of the data so that, that you know, no one person's data is being identified. It's just being aggregated. Yeah. And so with that, that's a good point. So we do not start releasing any data into the BeamRick system at all until there's at least three handlers reporting so that you can't see any one handler what they're doing. We do the high and the low and the averages. And so, like I said, like in Bill, he's on the other end of it where I see the receiving end of the data. He's the one inputting it. So Bill might have some more insight on what he thinks is a key aspect of the input, but that's kind of like the meat and potatoes of it. Right? Yeah. And was it always that way in the beginning? And maybe we'll let Bill jump in here where you had to have a computer, it's online, and that's how you participated in fulfilling your obligation as a grower? Like all electronic media and paper medias, it was faxed in the early days of the Avocado Commission. You know, then it became an email process. Then it became like working into a spreadsheet and sending the attached spreadsheet with the data in it. And then eventually now it moved into the online mode. But, you know, it took a normal data collection type of thing. I think this data collection is an important subject because it's kind of where getting it started is the most difficult. People don't like to change their habits. They don't want to give out information or they don't want to do this. And even the people that are mandated kind of balk at some of them. But once they're somewhat handheld, structured, informed what they're doing, you know, they go, wow, this works. Look at what I'm getting. So it's almost like initially they drag their heels, they'll complain, they'll you know, give you information that's not always right on track. And there comes the critical value of the third party, because the third party is policing, is auditing, is encouraging, is teaching, is instructing. They're that piece that make the input person, whoever it is, it could be a clerical person, feel comfortable in what they're doing, how they're doing it, where it is. That's what she does. We've got enough growers now. We've run the cycle that it takes time to get everybody on board. And I think that we'll talk about the avocado husk program later, but that's a classic example of something taking three or four years to get to the level that it is today. I would say Beamer took a few years. 
Yeah. What level is that today? I mean, how many are participating? What percentage of the industry do you have engaged in BIMRIC program today? The Beamer program is 100% by state law. It's required. A little bit different, but I think the requirement, I've heard growers argue that that's the only way that it will work. But to Bill's point, the information, once the handlers and the growers start realizing the value of the data that they're receiving, they'll voluntarily participate. It takes a little bit of time, I think, Hosk, in their roundtable that you guys had, kind of explained that. It took a while for it to get going. But once they get a taste of that, they're going to participate in a more willingly fashion. I think what was interesting, and I know both of you listened to the Emiliano talk about the two years he said it took him to get about 90 plus percent of the participation they were looking for. But, you know, what's interesting is that unlike the Haas Avocado Board, the California Blueberry Commission is pulling the data from the grower or first handler, those that meet the commission's 50,000 pound threshold mandate. What was it about the grower versus the handler level, you know, where the aggregation was already taking place so that in your case, 50,000 pounds grower handler, but you decided to include growers when also having the handlers involved with the packing and the shipping. So maybe talk a little bit about the nuance there with your program and how that works. When this initial program started too, and Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, but the handlers really wanted it. I think they really wanted it because they're like, oh, I get to see what the other person's doing. But then you get all this detailed data coming in and the growers started to see the value of it. Going, wait a second. I can now hold my handler a little bit more accountable saying, hey, wait, why were we the low that day on my berries? Why weren't we the high? And so all this data starts coming in. And this is where it goes back in line where even if it's a voluntary program, the value will be there because you're going to start seeing what we saw in California before BMRIC was you had these high peaks and then low valleys on the price. The volume coming on would just come into the market and you'd have everybody trying to sell as quickly as possible, which would be a race to the bottom with the price. And then the volume would back off and the price would skyrocket. And it was just, you couldn't judge it. When Beamer came on, you saw this one, this bell curve of the inventory and the volume coming off because the growers could see and time when they wanted to do their harvest. And you could also see a stabilization of the price. It was now like a rolling hill rather than these peaks and valleys. Wow. Well, Bill, talk about that, man. I mean, it, that sounds like a great benefit back to the industry. Maybe from your perspective, how has the industry benefited in whole from this program? Well, I want to clarify one thing, and that's one of the concerns. He said that the growers can't evaluate their handler in that respect in day to day. And that's probably one of the handler's fears. But in the reality, it really doesn't happen. You know, Yes, they do look at the overall indexing, and yes, they do look at where they're trending. But most of these people are pretty sophisticated in understanding of that happening. That's a, a concern of handlers in general is that their growers don't think they're doing a good job for them, you know, when they're doing the best that they can. Okay, we're, we're going to take a quick break here for our marketing boost. We'll be right back with Bill and Todd in a moment. But for now, here's... NABC USHBC Vice President of Marketing and Communication, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. Let's talk influencers. Social media and influencer marketing is an important part of USHBC's promotion program to drive blueberry demand. We partnered with an easy-to-make recipes influencer for Frozen Food Month to inspire frozen blueberry usage. What unfolded was a beautiful and delicious blueberry cookie recipe video on Instagram and TikTok. 
In just a few days, the recipe has gone viral with more than 400,000 views and counting. This is valuable exposure for blueberries, and you have the opportunity to leverage, extend, and engage with this content and share it with your social media audience. Remember, consumers are most loyal to brands and businesses that inform and educate them. It's easy. On Instagram or TikTok, search the account at Justine underscore snacks and look for the picture of the purple cookie. You can't miss it. Then like and comment on her video. Share the post on your Instagram stories and encourage your followers to try the recipe and share. And be sure you're following and engaging with USHBC at our account at Blueberries on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You'll pick up all kinds of tips and tricks to share with your audience. That's what we're here for, to promote the amazing benefits of blueberries and help you save time and resources by creating content you can capitalize on for your own channels. It's a win-win, and we're in this together. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership, as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Back to you, Casey. Thanks, Jenny. And before we jump back in here with Bill and Todd, just a quick warning for your listeners. Bill's internet started to fail us, so we had him switch to his phone. So his audio will sound a little different, hopefully better from here on out. So Bill, getting back to our conversation with you, when you look at the benefits that growers like yourself, or even if you're a packer marketer that has benefited from this program, what are those benefits from your perspective? They're endless. Um, They start from uh, knowing how to time your... uh, your volumes to your clients and your customers, which is probably one of the most integrated things that all marketers do. And they're trying to say, okay, the the prices are historically are tracking here. Last year, we had this experience. The year before that, we had that experience. And so when they're sitting in front of a, uh, a buyer or a merchandise manager, they're able to talk with a lot of certainty. And then having Beamrick along with that is just showing, well, this is what the industry is doing. So if a particular marketer wants to pull an ad, you know, a full week before the peak, that's difficult because it's difficult on the industry. And we have data to basically support that. So that's just on the marketing side. When you get into the planning of how, you know, you're going to basically keep your staffing, you know, you know when you need X number of people because you've got historical data that's showing this is what's happening and when. And, uh, you know, you can also say, you know, this is my break even. I got to get out. And we've had that happen. So all those data, all that managing tools are what we need to be smart farming. It takes the guesswork out of the program, like in the sense, like Bill saying, from the retail lever to the grower being able to his staffing, the retailer doing their ads. All the guesswork now is gotten down. You're limiting where you're going to make a mistake because we have. 10 years worth of blueberry data that we can say, hey, every year, week 22 is when our peak is or whatever it is. And so now, like Bill said, I can staff accordingly. And you're limiting your exposure on, you know, to a grower, which is exactly what we want to do. Well, I think you guys both probably heard on the roundtable discussion with Emiliano, where he actually explains how do you measure the ROI of the program. And, and I won't try to quote him or, or you know, restate the numbers here that he shared, but he was basically saying, if you save them a quarter, right, 
you multiply that against, you know, however many shipments or packs went out and essentially the multi-million dollar benefit that the program has provided in comparison to the investment that they had been making as an industry is staggering, right? It's like, to your point, I'm assuming that you have those anecdotal examples on where the system there for California has either helped cut costs or maintain the value of the price of the blueberry industry over time in such a way that it's been a remarkable ROI for the industry. I think it's an interesting statement there. When you look at that, we're just one state and we have fruit during the Florida and Georgia and somewhat North Carolina markets, and they don't use a tool and we do. And, um, I'll just use history. I think the data supports the stability of the California market pricing. Now, Todd, you can validate that, but I think that's a huge statement compared to some of the roller coaster things that are happening in other states. Yeah. And maybe even anecdotally, Todd, if you've got it, you know, an example where somebody shared with you, you know, without revealing, of course, you know, who it was that was involved, but where, you know, the BIMRIC system saved them or made them during the marketing of a particular season. I think an example of that would be, uh, this was a couple of years ago, I had a grower talking to me about the value of the Beamerick system is they were looking at it and you could see the volume increasing. And just FYI, you know, California, when we started in 2010, they really didn't have any idea how much blueberries were in the state. They had a general consensus of about 20 million, but they didn't know. Well, if that number was accurate, 10 years later, 2020, 2021, we're looking at 75 million. So you would imagine that, the, okay, the price is just going to plummet because we're saturating the market. Well, it hasn't because growers such as Bill and other growers around the state can look at the volume and time accordingly of when they want to harvest and get it off their bush and into the market. And same with the handlers. The handlers can do the same thing. They're looking at it when they want to run ads, where they want to ship, where they need to get it going. And with that level of volume, and to what you asked me, I had a grower come up to me and tell me that, that. They looked at the data that was coming down the pipeline. They looked at the three-year average that we put out in the Beamerick report, and they said, I think the volume is going to be peaking in a couple of weeks. I want to get ahead of that. And so they, they harvested, and they got their crew out of there, and they were done. And we're going to wait. Well, and I kind of go back to what Emiliano was sharing in the avocado industry and the hurdle we face of doing something similar on a national scale. I know you know, obviously, we aren't able to layer down on that mandate that you have we're not going to be able to make this situation where it's mandatory across the country. You guys in California have that. I think it's been held out as kind of the gold standard, in fact, of examples of how this kind of system can work. But he said on that, I mean, just listening to it and encouraging people to make sure they go back and, and watch that roundtable discussion with Emiliano, but it's not mandatory for avocados. And Bill, I know you have experience in knowing that it's not mandatory, but he's had success in building this together with the rest of the industry and creating this incentive to participate. It, it took them a couple of years, but is that our biggest hurdle here? Is that it would have to be only volunteer? I mean, what concerns is keeping blueberries from modeling what we see avocados doing? You know, I've said this before, you know, he probably makes it more crystal clear than anybody and, and he's proven it, you know, and it comes down to trust and you building a trust between basically multiple parties, the handlers, the growers to a lesser extent, the organization, meaning the California Commission or the, in the case of the Hosco, the board or any other commission. And then, you know, the third party and the third party that's helping collect the data does more than just raw data collecting. They're teaching, they're explaining it, they're validating, and they're also auditing. 
you know, and it's that audit that you think is somewhat threatening. But in a lot of respects, if you were to talk to the California Blueberry and the Haas Avocado Board, you get the same answer. That auditing puts confidence in the system, which is the problem why the USDA numbers don't work, because we don't have confidence in the system and the data is somewhat skewed. When the data is audited, when it's confirmed, and I'm a businessman and I go in there and I use that data and I know that data is going to be correct, I get used to it. And when it works once and then it works again, now it becomes habit. It becomes a tool that I have to have to do my business. That's exactly what's happening in the avocado industry. It has happened thanks to, to Amelia basically pushing hard and standing tall through some very difficult times, but he got it through. And we had our challenges in the early stages of people not always accepting it. But once you start to get that trust and you get that validation, you don't want to let go of it. Well, the value behind it, too, where all of a sudden your competitors getting all this information, all this data, and they're making smart economic business decisions and you're not participating. So you don't get to see that data. Well, now all of a sudden they have a competitive advantage over you. And that is where I think some part of the driving point of having a voluntary program is, is if enough people are participating to where now all of a sudden the ones that aren't are behind the eight ball, you know, competitively wise, then they're going to join as well. Well, sure. And I, and I think, Bill, it's interesting that you brought that up. Trust, you know, trust, right? Because I think in the case of what I said, you know, in my conversations with Manuel and Emiliano, when we were talking that, you know, it's organizations, certainly like the California Blueberry Commission as a state agency and ours, those of us who have been entrusted for years now on collecting, essentially it's data. I mean, we're, we're collecting the assessments as part of the law, but in order to collect the assessment dollars, you've got to have some of that information that's relative to the production, in our case, pounds. The USHBC has been doing this for like 20 years and you guys have been doing, it sounds like 11 years. And we've built that trust over time, the kind of trust that would suggest that these two entities or entities like ours are to be trusted and and how they handle data. Otherwise, there's consequences for organizations like ours to mishandle data. There's no doubt. But you've got oversight. You've got the growers on the board. You know, with the handlers and marketers overseeing the operation of these entities, it's their program. They run the show, so to speak. So maybe, you know, from your perspective, it's that part of the trust we're talking about, right? Absolutely. It's a cornerstone of any well-organized, you know, data sharing type of process. And I'm very excited that I think that the blueberry industry can do something with this. I think some of the pain, and they, they always say it takes pain to make changes, that we will start to see an acceleration of this. Within our own U.S., we've got states that are having difficult getting their data together, you know. So this whole effort is kind of coming to a formidable head that, that has to be addressed. We cannot basically walk away from this. We need to take the steps to make this successful. We, we've got too many examples of it being successful and virtually no examples of it not being successful. So you're saying time is now. Is that what you're saying, Bill? Pretty much, yeah. Well, actually, it was yesterday, but I'll take now as a backup. 
Well, I think you ladder up to it. You know, a lot of circumstances that are are making this a really timely conversation right now. I mean, we've had a great conversation with Manuel talking about its opportunity to do something there similar with mangoes. And I think, you know, the fact that the technology is there to make this as easy as possible for participants to participate. I guess the question just becomes, if you build it, will they come? If it's predicated on a mandatory obligation like it is California... We have a good example of what you've seen and experienced yourself, Bill, in avocados. You know, if you can build it, you know, will there be an industry that is responsive? Will this be the time we take this step as a blueberry industry and find success in building out a national system? Well, the downside is if we do nothing, is we get to see the same thing happen. And status quo in our industry right now is not acceptable. Right. Well, and it's incredible. I mean, I know you guys have been enjoying this for some time, but I I, I think for our audience who may not have been familiar with BIMRIC as a program, certainly these details, I can't thank you guys enough for coming on and just sharing even some of the anecdotal experience that I think really gives some color to the canvas here of what the data program can do and what it can bring to life. So, As we wind down here, I just want to ask, and I'll start with Bill, is there anything else that you think the industry should know about the value of a system like BIMRIC as we move forward from here? Again, you're in a unique situation. Uh, You've seen things that are done on both sides of an industry. You've seen what Emiliano has been talking about over there on the avocado side, and you've been a leader here in the blueberry industry side. So is there anything you'd like to add or share before we let you go? There's been some pain in the industry, and we've all felt it. But to have tools that can be very effective and solution-based and to know that they work is very encouraging. And I think that's the key. And when you look at the rapid volume that came in with avocados and even some other crops and compare ones that have done nothing and ones that have actually gone in and, and worked on their problems like the avocado and now the mangoes are and see that they're making solutions to these issues, you know, there's something there to this. And that's my whole point. The mandatory versus non-mandatory, I think people tend to make that too big a deal. I really do. I think when the product is done right and the material is done right, I think it's a simple decision. They'll come if you build it, I guess is what you're saying. They'll they'll come. Okay, Todd. This is something that is a solution to a problem. We're seeing so much volume out there in the United States where our growers are, you know, they brought up the ITC for a reason. Now here's our opportunity to maybe this is a solution to that problem or at least to address a a part of it. And I think there's no time to waste on this. I think getting ahead of this and getting moving on this is critical. I think we should be moving forward. And I'm glad that you are. I think this is a good step. Well, I have to say, I really enjoyed having a chance to sit down with Todd and Bill here today, just to talk a bit more in depth about a program that I know many people have probably heard of. And if you've been in this blueberry industry, you know, specifically with Bimrick, but maybe not a lot of you have heard directly from Todd and Bill about the inception of it, what it does, and some of the values and benefits that California has certainly enjoyed for many years now on having a system like this. And clearly, you know, one of the takeaways here is that it takes time. You know, it takes time to get the system in place where it's clearly something that's delivering the kind of value for our industry and for growers and for marketers, the handlers year in and year out. It it just takes time. And I think part of it is that, you know, it's about 
trust. And trust is a key piece of any project or maybe anything in life. But you can hear clearly that the Blueberry Commission in California has the trust of its industry to continue to provide this data and protect this data. And over the years provided that back and able to be able to maintain that trust. And I think that was the theme of our conversation we had with Emiliano was, you know, that these are trustworthy organizations. In fact, because they've been overseen by boards of directors that are made up of the people who are the stakeholders investing in the data investment themselves. So I think trust is clearly part of what's important here. And lastly, I really liked what Bill had to say at the end there, because it's absolutely true that if we do nothing, we'll continue to see the same results, the status quo, and it's just not acceptable. And we've heard that. I've heard that. And that's why at USHBC, we're moving forward on a number of fronts on behalf of the industry right now. We're working to continue to provide that value of investment back to the growers year in and year out. And we know that more is needed, especially right now. And we're working towards that. Well, that's it for episode 41. Thanks so much for the continued support of this podcast. If you haven't yet, just take 30 seconds and leave us a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast so that we can spread the word about this incredible industry. So thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. 